0: Good morning, friends. Welcome to church. So good to be here with you. If you weren't here last week uh, and you weren't here for the announcement, I I started back last week. And if you want to listen to a bit more context of how that's working, you can go and listen to the first five minutes of last week's sermon. Um, But uh, it is such a gift to to be here with you, uh, even as I'm still trying to find my footing uh, once again. I uh, have probably made things worse for me uh, as far as like feeling, you know, confident or having my footing under me because I don't know about you, but my uh, nightlife this week has been ruled by postseason baseball. And so I'm totally exhausted because games start at eight and they take forever. Um, but we have two nights off before we do it again um, and watch them lose to Houston, most likely in spectacular fashion. Um, but. Uh, It it has been really good to be back. Thursday was um, my first time back at prayer, morning prayer, and we just gather in this room, and it was really sweet to just be here with a circle of people that have been praying the whole time I've been out, Um, and for longer than that, for for years now, people have been gathering uh, in this room and praying, and I just want to invite you to come and join us. Yeah, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. I, I get that. Some people's school schedule works because you can't possibly be here at, in person at 8 a.m. on a Thursday. That, that makes sense. But some of you, you can. I mean, I dropped my kid off at school, and then I just come on over here. And, um, you know, Jenny was talking a couple of weeks ago about how um, necessary proximity to Jesus is for our lives. And... um and probably, if we're honest, a lot of us don't experience much proximity to Jesus. Like maybe this is it. Like this is your Sunday morning. Like this is the whole sort of ball game for you. And um, and maybe that's all you can do right now. And, and if that is, then you can trust Jesus to be with you. But, but um, you could just if maybe that forty-five minutes on Thursday could be like your time with Jesus to just be still and quiet and and just to just to rest and linger in, in the presence of God. Um, we need that. I need that. Um, you need that. Um, so I just want to invite you to come and learn to pray with us. Um, the, uh, yeah, I want, to, I want to invite you to come. I'll be honest. I was in uh, Beth uh, and Troy's uh, office during this whole worship time and, and in between the services trying to decide whether or not I was going to scrap my entire message or not. And I got all the way to where I was starting to write a second message, which is a terrible place to be <laughs> at 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then I was like, no, I think I'm going st- to stick with it, but I, the reason why I, I'm hesitating is because I, I really want to come from a place of like rea- reality, and there's a lot of things I want to say in this text, and a lot of actually things about dis- disabled people, which comes, I think, in this text, and is it's one of the texts that a lot of people, what's called uh, disability theology, um, which is a really interesting, fascinating sort of niche of theology right now, but um, it's uh, something I could talk about for a long time. But this text is one of the texts they look at because it shows us that Jesus had a very different perspective on disabled people than most people in his day and most people in our day, um, that he had space for them and time. He gave them audience and power, and that that's not something that people tended to do then, and it's not something that we still tend to do well um, And so I, but I don't want to do so, I don't want to talk about this like from like a punchy place, which is kind of what I felt like I did at the nine. Like, you know, just like, ah, yeah, like picking a fight with, I don't know who, someone in here who's like, no, disabled people should be marginalized. I mean, I don't know who I'm talking to in that conversation. So um, I guess I want to just say like, I think that there's something invitational for us as Christians to see the world the way Jesus does. And a lot of times that takes dismantling some of our assumptions and, um, and it's something I'm trying to figure out how to do. Um, I'm not enough sleep. So um, I call this sermon Jesus for the Disabled um, because it does talk about a disabled person, and it shows us how Jesus responds to um, a person with a disability. Now, the whole word disability is problematic because what it automatically implies is that there's like a normal, and then there's an abnormal, you know, and it just lumps people into categories. And we do do that right you know um and, and and also we have a term for that that's called ableism you know which that's uh, you know but uh we do tend to do that even still and so you have um people with adhd or people uh, on the autism spectrum or uh, people who were born with down syndrome or the blind deaf uh f- physical abnormalities you know um uh, epilepsy whatever ticks and uh that they're like They have something that like is working against them fitting in with the rest of us. Us normal people, us able-bodied people. And Jesus in his day uses his power to go against all social conventions and instead invite those very people who no one else is paying attention to into the middle of his kingdom, into the center of his ministry. And that there's something about that that I think is really instructive for us and also really hopeful for us, whether you are a person with a disability or a person who lives with a person with a disability, or you're just a person who maybe you have full physical like normality, but internally you are as desperate as this man was. The blind beggar. What could be more desperate than being blind and, having, and being unemployed? You can't even trust... <laughs> when you give someone the, the, you know, the coins that, is the, that they're even taking, it's like you're, you're desperate. And Jesus has, he holds space for these people. And he invites us to do the same. Um, so as four headings on our text, and we'll just begin with this idea. The blind can see in this text, and not just at the end. I mean, like literally, Mark wants us to to wrestle with this idea that... um. The blind guy knows who Jesus is more than the seeing people. He calls him the son of David, which is a royal title. It's messianic. It bears this uh, all this historical weight. You know who David is, right? Um, probably most of you do. He didn't just kill the giant, Goliath. He did do that, but then he also became the great king, who who really is sort of like larger-than-life, Arthurian sort of king figure in Israel's history, so much so that all the subsequent prophecies about how Israel will one day rebound and come back to its former glory rest on the shoulders of some descendant of this king, David. And so when Bart is calling Jesus son of David, he's essentially saying the whole thing is resting on you being the long-awaited king. You know, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, but real. And... um And so he's able to see what most everyone else is missing, that Jesus is actually um, here to rescue. He's not simply wandering around as a great teacher. Um, He is actually here um, in a long-awaited, long-prophesied mission from God Uh, and and this idea of like a person being blind but knowing something versus a person who can see and not knowing is sort of all throughout Jesus' ministry, this idea. John chapter nine probably has the longest like conversation on this because there's a, a miracle where Jesus um, heals a man in, in the temple, and there's a big fuss about it, and the man gets pulled into like church court. And his parents get pulled in there too. And they're very all the religious rulers, the Pharisees, are very bothered by this. Um, and they can't figure out like, who this person thinks he is to heal a blind person in the temple. Eventually, they throw the family out. They're like, whatever. And Jesus finds this man. And he, uh, he says to him, within earshot of the Pharisees, he says, This is why I came into the world. We have it up there? Because that's all I remember for judgment. So that those who, who do not see may see, and that those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard this. And they said, Surely we are not blind, are we? They're pointing to their eyes. Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But because you say, We see, your sin remains. I was thinking about this a lot this week, and I'm just going to be honest and say I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth in this sermon between like, actual disabilities and how people with actual like, disabilities roll into our church, but then also like, ideas like this, because when we talk about blindness in the Gospels, we're always talking about two things. We're talking about real blindness, and we're also talking about metaphorical blindness or spiritual blindness. And I think there's a lesson for us in this idea of like spiritual blindness, um, and claiming to see. I think a lot of us today claim to see a lot. In fact, that's kind of like the way it goes. Like, I am the one who sees clearly. Um, and in that is this implication that, like, you don't see clearly, I see clearly. That's what we do with our voice now. We say, I am the clear-seeing one. You are the one who sees, uh, who's blind. And I just wonder, like, if there's a, maybe a message for us in this, that maybe we should check ourselves when we say, like, I'm the one who sees clearly. Now, I don't think that, first of all, there has to be like some kind of a limitation to that like self-analysis because there actually is such a thing as truth <laughs> and falsehood. There is such a thing as right and wrong. So when it's not, like, it's not saying like, I don't know, maybe I don't know anything and everyone else is always right. I mean, like that can lead you to go like, maybe white supremacy is the right way to view it. Like, no, that's not, that's not where we're going with this. But the point is, is like, in what ways do I take pride in being the seeing one? Because that's what tribalism stirs up in us, pride, that we're the smart ones, we're the enlightened ones. And that happens on the right and the left. It happens in faiths. It happens in the church. The church is, Christians can be so brutal to one another. You know, like how can you you worship Jesus in that way or think that way about baptism or believe that about the rapture or whatever? Um, What are the ways that I am actually being invited by Jesus in this to... I don't know, into humility, just to have some humility. You know, I mean, I am the product of a thousand things that I didn't control in my life and a handful of things that I did control. That's true for all of you. Product of thousands of things I had no control over, who I was born to, what time I was born, you know, what street I grew up in, what schools I went to. What, what happened to me as a child, I didn't choose any of those things. I can choose now, like, what podcasts I'm listening to, what books I'm, I'm chewing through. I mean, and those things matter, too. But just to have some humility, that people make sense. You know, a lot of times when we look down our noses at other people, we don't actually know their story. It's easy to look down your nose at a person because we think, like, my life makes sense, but you are just some weird cartoon caricature. It's like, no, like that person is that way. They think that way. They believe that way for reasons. The same reasons that you believe and think. um, They're funded by the same kind of real experience. In what ways do I actually, um, claiming to be seen, I'm actually ignorant and blind? Anyway, the second thing we see in this text is that the silenced are heard. The silenced are heard. Um, This man is not used to being heard. He's used to being passed by. He's used to being treated like disabled people today. Um, you know, uh, I don't, this is embarrassing to me, but sometimes I'll be walking down the road and I'll see somebody who's begging or something, who's trying to get my attention, and I'll act like I can't see him. You know, do you ever do that? Like I'll act like I can't hear him. I don't know why I do that. Like, how inhuman. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus stops. It says he stops and he stands still. I love it because the crowd's moving, you know? And I like to think that there was someone a little bit too close behind him who was like on his phone, who just didn't realize. But Jesus stops (laughs) those phones they had um, and stands still because he hears someone that is not used to being heard. One of the things that I love this about Jesus, he does it all the time. He listens to people that no one else is listening to. All through the Gospels, it's one story after another of Jesus listening to people that no one else listens to in that day. Women, children, the poor, marginalized peoples, slaves, tax collectors, sinners. He's always giving audience to people that no one else would give audience to, especially a highly regarded, respected religious leader like Jesus. The silenced are heard in Jesus' kingdom Who are the people that we're unwilling to listen to? Or just going back to this idea of even, like, people with disabilities. Are we willing to, like, action, are we willing to, to listen and to learn from those who, who often are not given audience? One of the things that we're, like, really good at doing in our day and age is, like, feigning listening. You know, like, giving ear service to someone but not actually changing anything. We really, we're great at that because it's good PR, It's good PR to pretend you're listening, but then to not change anything structural about your life. Maybe like some sort of token, like HR policy that we can just like put out there. Like who, to actually like listen. I mean, Jesus brings this person forward and says, what do you want me to do for you? He just puts himself in this guy's hands, And I wonder if anyone had ever asked Bart that question his entire life. What do you want me to do for you? Um, that's actually the third thing we see, that in in Jesus' kingdom, powerless people are given power. This happens again and again in the Gospels. He gives power to powerless people. He gives agency to people who had no say over their life. And the people who think they have all the say over their life, (laughs) he doesn't give them say. There's something about walking in the way of Jesus that has to be that sort of gritty and on the ground where actual power is being given to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. That's kind of what some of this work of justice is, whether that's to a person who's disabled or it's a person who's marginalized for some other reason. That actual, like, power and agency is, is, is given. Um, I think for me, the, the word that really sticks to me when I read this, this story, and I mean it has for years, it's circled in my Bible, so that must mean it, it meant something at one point as I read it, um, is when they come to him and he says, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And friends, I just want to say, like, that is the gospel that no matter where you are right now, or no matter where anyone is right now, Jesus' ear is open, and he's calling you. I, I think that one of, the, one of the downsides of being um, affluent, there's a lot, there's a lot of downsides. There's a lot of upsides, but there's a lot of downsides. One of the downsides of being affluent is that our life is so comfortable and so under our control, that we don't experience desperation, and when you aren't desperate, Jesus doesn't seem like that big of a help. You know, um, we just aren't that desperate. We kind of have it figured out. You know, we have emergency funds. Some of, some of us have just money sitting there just in case we need it. Like, how cool is that? How totally unique in human history is that idea? just having, like, wages in a bank. And when we're not desperate, I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to elevate poverty, like, boy, we should all wish to be really poor, but at least, like, it clarifies things, you know? It makes it so that we can at least, like, we understand, like, we actually are in a desperate place, like, we're not able to save ourselves. Recently, I have been feeling more and more desperate, uh, if I'm honest, because my life has felt less and less under my control. And that's a really scary feeling, um, especially when most of your life has felt like, I'm pretty much in control of what's happening next. And then you're like, you're not in control anymore. And I think that there's just this opportunity for all of us to try to get in touch internally with, with what desperation feels like. And probably part of it begins by acknowledging how much life isn't working out for us. You know, like really. Um, because most people that I, and I get the privilege of being led into very intimate spaces with people uh, again and again. Like people that I've met once, like over, like out, out in the cafe. And then they're like, can I have an hour with you and share great, deep, dark secrets with you? And I'm like, yes, I would love that very much. It's one of my, the great things about being a pastor is I get brought into these spaces that are so intimate. Um, but here's what I hear again and again from, from all of us, fairly well-off, educated, affluent folk is that our life hurts more than we thought it would, and that all the money isn't working, and that the antidepressants aren't cutting it enough, and the alcohol isn't doing it anymore, and the work isn't as satisfying, and the marriage is harder than you thought it was gonna be, that you're lonelier than you thought you'd be, that you've been around the sun more times than you thought you'd be, and be in this place right now emotionally, mentally, But we spend most of our life because we're affluent. We spend most of our life because we're comfortable shirking that feeling and finding some way to anesthetize it. And we drown ourselves in screens. We drown ourselves in whatever it is because we don't want to feel that pain. But that pain, friends, is where Jesus is. That pain is where you'll find Jesus. Um, Recently, I've been doing this thing in my... I've been praying a lot recently and when I pray um, in my Bible, I have, like, I do the lectionary thing that we all do. And in my Bible, I have um, all, my, all my bookmarkers are, um, like, pictures of my kids. Um, so, <laughs> this is Addie a hundred years ago. But um, she's, she's in the book of Acts right now. And so, anyway, I'm reading the book of Acts. Um, <laughs> Zoe's in the gospel. The, boy, the boys, uh, where are they? They're in Isaiah. Anyway, um... Well, after I read a thing, um, I'll hold their picture, and then I'll just pray, kind of whatever I just came out of that text. Let's pray those things over them. I found it to be like really meaningful, it's just a daily practice for me. I've been doing it now for a few months. Um, I've always had them in there. I just would always kind of like just use them as bookmarks. Turns out like it's a great opportunity to pray for people. But one of the things that I've kind of learned in this in this season. Uh, around desperation is that like sometimes I don't know what to pray or sometimes my words don't feel like they're going to do enough. There's been um, some mornings where I'm just out on my back porch and holding uh, one of my pictures and I found myself a couple weeks ago like just literally groaning. Like just like, oh, like like no words, you know, no words because I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Um, there is, in the places of pain, friends, that is where the healing is. That's where Jesus is. And if we spend our whole life running from it, um, you, you, might, you, might, you might have a fairly good life but you won't won't experience the joy of someone saying to you in your desperation, take heart, he's calling you. And I want you all to have that. I also want us to be a place where everyone experiences that. You all, and people who regularly don't even fit in churches, who don't know how how to... how to, how to stick into a community like this. I want us to be a place in which every person has the opportunity in this community to hear the good news. Take heart, which is be of good courage. Don't be afraid. He's calling you. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.